highly skilled and motivated professionals, and the most medically advanced equipment. That's Manatee Memorial Hospital. And this is Manatee Talk Radio with Melanie Cole. Over time, tissue heart valves can degenerate and eventually fail, requiring the need for replacement. My guest today is Dr. S.J. Matthews. He's a cardiologist and Taver Medical Director at the Structural Heart Clinic at Manatee Memorial Hospital. Welcome to the show, Dr. Matthews. Explain to the listeners a little bit about heart valves and how a valve can fail. So uh, thank you very much for having me. the aortic valve is the one we're talking about today, and over time, as you, as you get older, the valve can degenerate, and one of the most common forms of degeneration is what's called age-related calcific aortic stenosis, and the valve literally becomes quite hardened by calcific deposits. These are associated with aging. Less commonly, rheumatic fever and also congenital abnormalities, abnormalities you were born with can cause problems as well, but again, the most common cause of this is age-related calcific disease. So how is it identified? When does it become apparent that a valve is failing? What would somebody notice? Well, there are a lot of symptoms that are associated with this, shortness of breath, chest pain. In very advanced cases, some folks can go on to have congestive heart failure, as well as the passing out spells or syncope. So the most common symptom that we hear about is a, a, a murmur that is heard on examination or a shortness of breath. So people hear about leaky valves and, and failed valves, And typically, we've heard about valve replacement. So what's been the standard of care for a failed valve? Well, for many years, uh, aortic valve replacement surgery was the gold standard for these types of uh, uh, failed valves. When the valves would become very stenotic or blocked up over time, uh, then the only way to fix this was with an open heart procedure. Now we have potentially another option for patients that are of at least intermediate risk or high risk for any type of heart surgery, and we can potentially offer them a endovascular approach for replacement of these valves. So before we talk about the TAVR approach, for certain populations, you said people who might be at high risk for open heart surgery. So who is a candidate and who might those people that are high risk be? Well, it's not just high risk now, because when the valve was first offered, uh, it was really only for the patients that were deemed too high risk for open heart surgery. But with uh, the recent uh, FDA uh, guidelines, they've now opened it up to intermediate risk patients. So there's a risk calculation that surgeons will do to figure out what is your risk of mortality and morbidity. So that means the risk of having death associated with an open heart procedure, and also the risk of complications and other problems that can happen post-surgery. And they come up with a risk calculation, and this is called the STS score, the Society of Thoracic Surgery Risk Calculation. And if we have an STS score of 4% or greater, so 4% falls into the intermediate risk range and above, those patients are a candidate potentially for the transcatheter valve replacement procedure. So now tell us about this procedure and, and what's involved and what kind of expertise it takes to, you know, to perform it. Well, typically these procedures are offered at centers that have open heart surgery capabilities already. Now, the specialists that are doing this procedure typically consist of a team of, uh, of interventional cardiologists who have expertise in structural heart disease. These doctors may have done fellowships specifically in structural heart or uh, have uh, gone on to do advanced training afterwards. And they also partner with surgeons, cardiac surgeons who do the procedure, the open procedure as well. They do these together as a team. And... Uh, these centers uh, typically have a lot of expertise in open valve procedures, but also percutaneous valve procedures as well. 
Now, the procedure itself is done typically in what's called a hybrid operating room or a hybrid cath lab. This cath lab has uh, special uh, capabilities of not only being able to do the endovascular procedures, but also able to do the open heart procedure as well, too. Now, the way it is done is done through an endovascular approach. So rather than cutting the chest open as you would typically do with a traditional open heart surgery, we go in typically through the groin, so through the common femoral artery, and more rarely alternative access sites such as the subclavian artery in the arm or the uh, or even in the neck or even just above the chest, what's called the transaortic route. Very rarely do we go straight through the chest, which is called the transapical route. But with these newer approaches, uh, the uh, they're minimally invasive. The complications that occur afterwards are significantly less, and the recovery time is significantly less as well. Through this vascular route, uh, typically in the groin, we advance a catheter that has a, uh, a balloon-mounted valve on a stent cage. And this stent valve gets placed across the aortic valve, and it is deployed either in a balloon-expandable fashion or in a self-expanding fashion. And these two different ways allow for a new valve to be placed over the old valve. So this is really fascinating for people to hear, Dr. Matthews. So the new valve is placed over the old valve. You don't take the old valve out. Correct. You just put this new one in, and the balloon kind of opens it up, and it closes up any leaks or fix it. What happens to the old valve? Well, the old valve is just there behind the new valve, and it kind of actually serves as an anchor for the new valve that's placed. And we mash it out of the way, uh, and this is actually fairly quickly done in the cath lab when it's deployed, either in a self-expanding fashion where no balloons are involved, or in a balloon expandable fashion. And if there's any leak afterwards that we see, we can typically touch that up with an additional balloon inflation. A lot of these newer valves also have a special skirt around the outside of the valve to seal off any leaks that might happen. So uh, when you look at the, uh, the, the valve on ultrasound, it actually looks like a brand new valve and there's no further obstruction seen. And it's actually much more physiologic, meaning it's a lot more functional than sometimes even the surgical procedure. So is this something that might have to be redone, or is the valve that you put in pretty much there now for the rest of the patient's life? For most people, we're looking at a valve that lasts the rest of their lives. And the newer generation valves have very good longevity, even out to 10 to 15 years. Uh, It's unclear, and we'll see how long some of these valves last, especially the newer generation ones. Uh, in, In the situation where you have a degenerated TAVR valve, it is actually possible to place another TAVR valve inside one. That's valve and valve, yes? That is correct. Wow, that is so incredible what you guys are able to do now. So then what's life like for somebody who's gotten this new valve? Are they still on medication? What's the follow-up plan? Well, most of these patients have lots of other medical issues, so there are still medicines that are involved. But some of these patients who get the procedure done feel great right away. In fact, uh, if they had significant congestive heart failure, a lot of those congestive symptoms are gone. Uh, Sometimes if you have chest pain issues associated with, this has improved significantly. Because we do it uh, percutaneously and have uh, a minimally invasive route, a lot of times what happens is the patients are actually able to get up and walk around fairly quickly after the procedure and feel quite well. I had a patient just last week tell me that they felt uh, they hadn't felt this good in, in, in six to 12 months. Absolutely fascinating. So wrap it up for us, Dr. Matthews, with with your best sort of summary and information about the TAVR procedure and what you would want patients to ask their doctor if they are told that they have a failing valve. Well, the, f- the first thing is to have options available. Now that 
it has been opened up to intermediate risk patients, and eventually uh, we expect that low risk patients will be included as well once the low risk trials are completed later in the next year to two. Uh, you want to be able to go to a center that has options for both the surgical valve and also the transcatheter aortic valve procedure. And then you have to find out whether or not you're an appropriate candidate for either type of procedure. There are some patients that will benefit from TAVR. There are some patients that will benefit from a surgical valve. And we make these decisions as a team approach with the surgeons and also ourselves to find out what's best for the patients. In general, uh, the technology continues to advance, and we continue to bring new uh, features to these valves over time. Uh, and I think patients should understand that this is a, an evolving field, and that we will have new uh, uh, offerings as the uh, technology advances, also potentially new options in other vascular beds as well, too. So uh, just understand, I think this is, uh, this is uh, a quickly, rapidly advancing field. And I'm really excited for the future when it comes to these types of structural heart technologies. Tell us about your team, Dr. Matthews. So our team consists of several TAVR implanters. So we have uh, approximately six physicians that are uh, implanters, in addition to uh, a couple surgeons as well, too, cardiothoracic surgeons who team up with us as well. We have several imaging doctors. We have three doctors that are involved with providing us the pictures that allow us to advance these valves into the appropriate position. We have a team of anesthesiologists as well, too. We have an, uh, we have a uh, an OR team as well, too, that's ready to help us in case we need to do an open-heart type procedure. But again, most of the time nowadays, they're there just uh, to give us some reassurance, but we haven't fortunately had to do that yet. So this team approach is what's uh, offered us to have excellent success and really great outcomes. In fact, the outcomes at our facility exceed that of the national average. So we're doing very well when it comes to the transcatheter procedures. Thank you so much for being with us today, Dr. Matthews, an absolutely fascinating segment. Thanks again. You're listening to Manatee Talk Radio with Manatee Memorial Hospital. For more information, please visit manateememorial.com. That's manateememorial.com. Physicians are independent practitioners who are not employees or agents of Manatee Memorial Hospital. The hospital shall not be liable for actions or treatments provided by physicians. Individual results may vary. There are risks associated with any surgical procedure. Speak with your physician about these risks to find out if minimally invasive procedures might be right for you. This is Melanie Cole. Thanks so much for listening.